Welcome back to the Shred Takes podcast show. Um, I'm really honored to have Danny Stickna here. He's my speed and agility coach uh, from Parisi Speed School in Fairlawn, New Jersey. He lives in Ringwood, New Jersey, which is uh, up in the frozen tundra of New Jersey. Um, but it's a pleasure to have him on. He's really helped me with just my speed and agility development. And also we're going to get into some strength stuff too. Um, but yeah, he's been uh, there since 2011 and he's worked with Temple um, as well. And you know, that's where he graduated. So Coach Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Hey man, thanks for having me. This is actually, uh, I recorded my podcast earlier today. So my second podcast of the day, I'm feeling kind of important. That's uh, two podcasts <laughs> in a day for me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So tell a little bit um, to everyone kind of what you do and a little bit about yourself, why you got into this whole area of study and focus, because I think for a lot of people, it's, it's always a different kind of motivation, I feel like. So go into that a little bit for people who uh, don't know a whole ton about your story. Yeah. So, I mean, like yourself, I was a basketball player my whole life. My career, unfortunately, ended uh, earlier than yours. Yours is still going. So you're blessed for that. Um, kind of ended after high school. I tried the uh, college route. Wasn't really working out for me. But so from that for moment going forward, I really started falling in love with the training aspect of it because I started working out, I'd say, seriously, uh, summer before my senior year of high school. I kind of like lived in that weight room that whole summer. Um, so I got a lot stronger and that's when I really started falling in love with that process. I mean, even at that time, I probably only weighed a buck 45 soaking wet, walked around. Like I felt like I weighed 200 pounds, but I was only about a buck 45 made sure the coach listed me at 165 on the roster. But, um, yeah, that's when I fell in love with the training. And, um, from there, when I went on to school, went on to college and tried to play a D3 route at William Patterson, wound up not making the team and decided, you know, I in some way want to be involved with the sport. So training was like kind of like a no-brainer at that point. So I wound up at Temple, which is where I started, um, really going through my undergrad work for my bachelor's. And um, at Temple, I was blessed with the opportunity to work with the basketball team there. Um which was an awesome experience. Awesome experience. Uh, they were a tournament team at that time. Every year they were a tournament team. Now we were unfortunately always eliminated first round, but uh, nonetheless, a tournament team. So we were, you know, a solid program. We lost to Kawhi Leonard actually. Um, and maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. I always mess, miss this up. If it was San Jose state or San Diego state, it was one of those um, that Kawhi was on. State. Yep, there it was. So, and this was one of the years, it was one of the 12 5 upsets. We were the fifth seed, they were the 12th seed, and um, they beat us. I'm pretty sure it's pretty handily. It might have been by like 20 or something. But either way, that's kind of when like this whole journey of mine, I guess, started. So, from there, I had to do an internship, and my internship wound up being here at Parisi Speed School. And I was blessed enough that they hired me. And we do things a little different, differently here. We're definitely more speed based um i am a certified strength and conditioning specialist by the nsca so a lot of my backgrounds in there i love the weight room so i'm big in the weight room but i'm kind of my foundation is very speed and very movement oriented which i think is huge because anything i do in the weight room kind of you know um goes back to that which is important i think for athletes because athletes not only have to be strong but athletes have to move um unless of course you're a power lifter or whatever but 
the majority of the people I work with are all field sport, court sport athletes like yourself, basketball, football, track and field, baseball, soccer. Um, so yeah, it's been a long ride and I'm, I'm pretty blessed. You know, I, I can't, I don't really have many complaints. You know, this is, I get to wear shorts to work. That's, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? I get to wear my hat to work. You know, that's pretty cool. Not many people can say they could do that, but, um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics of the training, right? So look, you, you worked with division one athletes, you still do. Right. Um, and I think that's awesome, right? You've worked with professional athletes too, guys who played overseas, all that kind of stuff too. Right. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you learned from temple that you now say, okay, like, like, what do you do when you're implementing workouts today? Right. Like how do you keep track of different trends and all that kind of stuff when you implement into those workouts? Yeah. So this is, this is really cool. Cause when I worked with Temple, that was, I mean, at this point, maybe 11 years ago. And when I think back to that time, it's like, I didn't know a thing. And each year, like the, the learning never stops. So each year, like I'm learning more and more and more. Even now, I think five years back, like, I, I didn't know a thing. You know what I mean? This industry is always evolving and always, always changing. So Temple was my first experience to like performance training with athletes. Whereas before that, like I said, I was all in the weight room, you know, I was all like, oh, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, like, which is important. Don't get me wrong. That's important. But Temple was my first exposure to like performance training, whereas like the movement got involved, a lot of single leg work stuff got involved, a lot of core based training got involved. And then what muscles need to be activated at what time. So that was kind of my first exposure to it. And then again, that just kind of fed my hunger and desire to learn more to kind of improve myself and keep being able to put myself in a position to put athletes like yourself into better positions to succeed going forward. Yeah. So talk a little bit about trends you've seen, at least like what were stuff that you've learned now that maybe even a year ago, you're, you didn't really ever consider when you're training certain athletes. Cause I think it's always interesting because, you know, the game's always evolving, right? Not just basketball, but every sport, football, baseball, soccer, right? And you, and you train people in different, on all those different sports. So I like to understand, like, you know, what kind of trends did you see this year? You're like, okay, I need to start implementing some of this stuff because I, I didn't notice this as much last year. I think this is really important. Yeah, so one of the biggest things that I'm kind of learning as a trend, and I'm getting, I think I'm, get, I'm getting better at it and the industry's getting better at it each year is, everybody is different and everybody has to be treated differently. So for example, if you're working with a full team, maybe, you know, five, six years ago, I'd put together a program for that team that every single person on the team would do. Whereas now if I'm putting together a program for this team, that program might be tweaked for each individual on that team. Now the goal of the program might be the same and might be have some very similar trends and processes or methods but each individual athlete might be treated a little bit differently to make it more specific towards them. So that's definitely one thing that um, I've gotten better at. And I think the industry is getting better at too. I mean, not everybody's going to squat the same way. So a certain squat setup or a squat stance is going to be different per athlete, right? So that's, you got to keep those things in mind when you're working with a group of athletes and when you're working with different individuals each hour or what have you. And another thing would be like, um, we work with the Vipers a lot. So I don't know for people listening, there's a, there's a methodology that I use called the Viper pros. You can Google it. You can look it up. It's V I P R pro P R O. Um, 
using sub-maximal loads, putting yourself in kind of odd positions that is huge and beneficial, especially for basketball. I can do a whole program just based around the Viper Pro, just putting your body in this different position that might mimic or emulate how you would be in a lane when you're driving the lane and you're kind of weaving through traffic, things like that. Being strong in different planes of motion that you might not consider is huge. And I think that's a trend that's picking up steam and growing, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I know you like Olympic lifts too. And yes. so I, I personally have never really done Olympic lifts and mm -hmm. I see that a lot of athletes do. And I know it's from what I've understand it's for an explosiveness component, but yes. how about you dive a little bit deeper into why you think it's, it's a good way to train. Cause I know you do other stuff besides Olympic lifting. I'm not saying you specifically do Olympic lifting, but I'm saying, you know, why do you think that's important for certain athletes to know and understand or have taught to them? Yeah, well, you said it. You said it there yourself perfectly. Uh, Olympic lift is explosive training, right? It's training your triple extension, um, peak power production in your muscles. Um, don't get me wrong. There's other methods that you can use to kind of bring about that. We can do a lot of med ball work and things. In my opinion, Olympic lifting is the most athletic thing you can do in a weight room because it's a difficult lift. It's a very technical lift. So depending on, you know, time frames and how long you have somebody or the level of the athlete, the training age, how long they've been training, that might not be right for them yet. But we train, I train athletes at the end of the day, I want them to be athletes in all facets. And that's an athletic move done within the weight room it requires a lot of coordination, a lot of timing. And just like sports requires a lot of coordination, a lot of timing. So it's again, it's another way to challenge the athlete, not physically, but mentally as well. So I think there's a huge carryover in your first step quickness, quickness, your explosive vertically and horizontally. Um, so I use those a lot, but again, I'm still kind of very uh, picky and who I decide to go forward with with the Olympic lifts, because like I said, it is a difficult lift to learn and it does take time and you have to be patient with it. And nowadays, I'm sure you can agree, some of these kids, they're not so patient nowadays. So if they're not kind of getting it after a week or two, they're going to get real frustrated, get within their own head, and it's going to only hurt that process. But it's, I mean, I do use them a lot, hang clean specifically. Talk a little bit about, so look, you've worked with athletes, right? And there's, we've talked about this when I've trained with you, the idea of confidence and kind of reinforcing that within the athlete, right? Because I know from my experience, there's been like a, especially my generation has a level of little patience and with things that they're struggling with, right? How do you reinforce as a trainer, the idea of confidence within that? Because I'm always interested to hear that perspective, because I think it's something that a lot of athletes struggle with, even if they're high level or not high level um, within their kind of daily training routines. Yeah. So I have, I have conversations like this with uh, some of my colleagues sometimes. And it's funny. I talk about, you know, this job is 90% psychology, 10%, you know, everything else. So understanding who you're dealing with, especially when you're working on a one-on-one -on -one level, I always say, you kind of got to be a, a chameleon in this job where the way that I might coach you for an hour is going to be different than the way I might coach, you know, a 15 year old soccer girl the next hour that I have. So being able to kind of relate with, make the athlete comfortable with you first in order to have conversations, that's like kind of step one. Once you get there, you kind of get to know the athlete, they get comfortable with you. Now you can kind of get into their world a little bit more and then kind of help build that confidence from the inside out. So it's not just as easy as, you know, it's a difficult 
thing to do because everyone's different. Kids nowadays are difficult. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of distractions. But you got to find ways for them to see the success in the small things. So, for example, if, you know, I do a lot of speed training, like I said. So one of the most fundamental drills of acceleration in sprinting is a wall drive. When you're on the wall, getting yourself at about a 45 degree angle and you're kind of switching knees, punching knees forward, that's a fundamental drill, right? So you take a small basic drill like that. Someone who might be a little on the slower side, struggling with sprinting, whatever the case is, get them to succeed at that drill and then big them up, like get excited. Like they just crushed it. And then those little kind of successes that they have kind of slowly start building their confidence. And then they might start feeling like, you know what, I could do this. And then obviously, uh, you know, you timing their sprints, they get a little bit faster. And then that kind of, it builds upon itself. You know, once they realize they can do things and they start seeing a little bit of progress, they'll motivate themselves at that point. And then it makes, you know, my job a little easier, but you got to kind of relate to the athlete, get on their level and then build the confidence from the inside out. Before it's chipped over to nutrition, I want to ask you, so you've worked with a lot of, or a good amount of professional athletes. I mean, I know, you know, for example, Matt Sims is an example of a guy who's always there, right? So talk a little bit about, even as a trainer, what you learned from some of those pro athletes that has helped you in your training uh, routines or coaching and that kind of stuff, right? Because I think as with professional athletes, I mean, I, I watch a ton of professional athletes, how they, you know, do certain things, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's a common thing. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about kind of how they've helped you out because I feel like they have so much stuff that you can even watch and just learn from too. Yeah, the biggest thing is uh, the little things matter. So like routines, um, when at most 99% of athletes in high school, um, that, that's not fair. Let's say maybe like 90 to 95% of athletes in high school, they don't really have that structure and that routine, especially when it comes to the nutrition. Now, is it their fault? Not necessarily. I'm not even going to put all the blame on the parents' fault either. I think this country itself is very undereducated nutritionally, which is, you know, kind of a shame, but that could be another podcast for another day. But the point is, when you're training, there's so many aspects to the improvement and the adaptation that your body has to go under. Training is a small blip of it. Sleep and nutrition is huge, arguably, if not bigger than the training. So the common trend you see when I work with or see a lot of these professional athletes is they're not only have to make sure their training's on point, but their sleep and their nutrition's also on point. And they're very structured, especially whether they're in season, they're out of season, they're in preseason, no matter what it is, they're adjusting what they're doing, whether it's their sleep schedule, their food intake, based on where they are. Everything matters. Whereas when you're, you know, when you're in high school, you got a lot of other things. You got your sports, you got, you know, the girls or the guys, you got, uh, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, there's all these other things. But when you're on that level, they're so structured and routine. And you can tell, like, for example, uh, we kind of had conversations about the, the Tom Brady TB12. He's very on top of his nutrition. Um, someone like LeBron James, I think it's like $1.5 million a year he spends on his body with all his trainers, his nutritionists, all those things like that. Now, granted, he has the money he can do that. I'm not saying people to go out and find $1.5 million to spend. But my point is everything matters from the biggest things down to the very little things worth how much water you're drinking. Uh, what are you eating before, during, and after a lift? So, yeah, it's huge, man. It's huge. So now, what, yeah, you just brought up nutrition, right? And I think 
So I've, I've had a few people on to talk about this kind of component because I think nutrition is something that a lot of people, like you said, in high school do struggle with because of all the distractions. I think maybe the lack of education is, is definitely a good component there. But talk about like, because I know you started a little bit of a nutrition movement and you also, I, I've seen you help out certain guys as giving them kind of meal plans to help them perform better. Talk about why you think that was something that you're looking at and saying, okay, I can be good, good at this or not, maybe not say good at this, but I can advise people how they can have proper nutrition because I think it's a benefit. So talk about why you did that. Because again, you're so busy with all the speed and agility and strength training component, why you felt nutrition was important to add on top of that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's really a simple answer. I, I'm just trying to find any way that I can benefit an athlete. And from when I started working here at Parisi about 10 years ago, I got asked the same question just about every week for that entire up until now. I still get asked the question every week, whether it's from an athlete or from a parent. And it's always, hey, what should my son or daughter eat before they come in? What should they eat after they come in? Should they take a protein shake? So as I'm getting these questions, it kind of one day is like, oh, duh. You know, once you start opening up the nutrition route. So that's when I kind of started re- doing my research. And um, thankfully, I work a lot with Bill Parisi. So he kind of pointed me in the right direction. And I went and got certified with the nutrition stuff. But that's really just how it started. I'm just trying to find ways to help athletes as much as I can, more so than just when they're here in the facility and they're working out with me for an hour or whatever it is. So let's talk about something I want to segue a little bit. I was thinking about as we were talking, the pliability uh, aspect of training, right? Something I personally, uh, for not being a very patient person, a lot of my life struggled with because, you know, you have to do all this mobility stuff and stretching and all this kind of stuff. And it, it your, your muscles are sore afterwards, right? And, it, you know, stretching does hurt and it doesn't feel always the greatest when you're doing it. So talk about why that's important to emphasize that for athletes, why they really should be doing that consistently and in their training regimens or even just after they do training, right. To kind of keep their bodies ready to go. Yeah. So again, I mean, it's kind of what I said before athletes have to move and when you're on the field or the core or what have you, you have to move in specific ranges of motion. Now I'm not, and I'm not going to downplay static stretching and holding things like that. I'm not downplaying it, but there's a specific, desired level of range of motion that we want so when i'm saying stretching is important i'm not saying yeah you got to you know lay in your back grab a band or whatever pull your leg and stretch your hamstring and hold it for a minute no we're trying to find functional ranges of motion right so i don't want to just create a greater range of motion for you and leave it at that i want to make sure you're functional and strong in that new range of motion because let's say every day for the next six months you do a static hold stretch on your hamstring right and you're creating that range of motion, but you're doing, that's it. You're just holding it. You're not moving through that newfound range of motion. So now since you have that range of motion, but your body's not used to having that range of motion, you're going to be weak in that range of motion. You're now more susceptible to injury. So now it's like, oh, you're stretching support and you're going to get hurt. Well, now you just kind of countered that. You stretched, but now you're actually more susceptible. So that's why I call it, there's a difference between flexibility and mobility. I'm kind of looking for more terms, the mobility with my athletes. I want them to be able to move and be mobile, but be functional within that movement and that mobility. Well said. 
so you're from Emerson, sorry, Elmwood Park, my apologies. Elmwood Park, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's near, obviously, New York City, right? And, you, and you've been a fan of the Giants and the Knicks and just yes, I, I think it's a lot of New York teams in general. So let's talk a little bit about, first of all, I want to talk about the Giants season. I know you've had, you had uh, Matt Pertz on your podcast recently. Yes, and I, um, I encourage people to listen to that. It's a good episode on the coach's table. That's the podcast that uh, Dan and uh, Coach Adam from Parisi's do. Um, but talk a little bit about kind of what you saw from the Giants. And if you're a, still a believer in Danny Dimes or Daniel Jones, for that matter, as a quarterback for the Giants. Um, I definitely would say I'm a believer. I think I'm a believer. I saw some good things. Um, obviously, they struggled early. Saquon went down. Nobody wanted to see that. But it is what it is at this point. It happened. They were struggling hard. But they kind of rallied back. And believe it or not, I mean, the NFC East, we can all know, like, is was terrible. Like, historically terrible. But at the end of the day, they were still kind of in that playoff hunt on the last couple of weeks. Um, I I do see promise next year. Hopefully Saquon comes back healthy. Uh, Daniel Jones, as long as it's kind of the same thing with the giants, man, as long as they have an offensive line that can protect Daniel Jones and open up lanes for Saquon, I'm happy with their defense. I don't think they're going to have a problem. I mean, I'm excited for the season to come for the giants. I don't think it's going to be, like, I'm sure we'll get into the Knicks in a little bit. The Knicks have been struggling for a long time. I don't think the Giants are going to go that many years of, you know, being a little rough. I think they have some promise. And who knows who we can pick up in the draft, too, coming up. Maybe a wide receiver. That's actually a point. Yeah, that's a point I was actually thinking about right now is the fact that the problem with the with the, the whole NFC East picture is so, as you probably are aware of, Dak Prescott signed that historic deal, right, where he's yep. getting like $40 million guaranteed. Which is and crazy crazy it shows you kind of what jerry jones is willing to do with money which is i think the problem with him running a gm for the cowboys and not just being strictly the owner but uh, um the one thing i was thinking i want to hear your point about is that that this is the thing that nauseates me a little bit about cowboy fans is that now since they got dak prescott back they're saying oh we're gonna win a super bowl next year they do this every single year and then they always end eight and eight seven nine nine and seven and if they make the playoffs they always lose in the first round so talk a little bit about kind of the fact of why do you think Cowboys fans have this kind of false sense of hope? <laughs> well, um, you told me there's no profanity in this podcast, so I'm not going to slip up, but I really don't like Cowboy fans. <laughs> like I have no, like there's no sauce spot in my heart for them. Now, don't get me wrong. Dak, Pres- Dak Prescott suffered a terrible injury, so I'm happy that he did get paid because when he suffered that injury and he was going through the whole holdout before that, in my head, I'm like, oh, it's over. Like, He's never going to see that contract now because of this. And it's like the Cowboys are so messed up for like not paying him when he was doing well. But you, I mean, you're exactly right. Cowboys fans gets hyped over something like this and then it never comes to fruition. And as a giant fan, I'm totally cool with that continuing to be the uh, trend that doesn't bother me at all. Um, But look, yeah, they signed Dak. Why are all of a sudden not going to make him a Super Bowl contender? They weren't contending for the Super Bowl when Dak was healthy. You know, they were a good team. They've always been a good regular season team. When things mattered is when, you know, that's just that's, um, that's just what history is. So that's all. That's what I'm going off of. That's what it is. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And the, and the crazy thing about it is so, look, people are just overlooking, I think. Number one, I think the, the, the Giants, I think, have a lot of potential, right? Because – 
The big, the big problem, the reason why I think people are angry at Daniel Jones in a sense is people don't really understand that this is the same trajectory that Eli had in his career, right? A lot of turnovers early in his career. And Eli still, let's be honest, still struggled turnovers late in his career, but he eventually kind of figured it out where he could at least be a, a pretty good quarterback, like, in my opinion, a Hall of Famer. But I think with, with Daniel Jones, I think he just needs to continue to develop. Again, he was hurt for a period of time last year, right? I think he's a new coach, everything like that. But the Washington football team, I think no one talks about the fact that they did make the playoffs last year and like the Giants have an unbelievable defense and people are just, you know, brushing them like they're not going to make the playoffs next year. And I'm saying if they get at least a decent quarterback, a decent quarterback, that team could be interesting too. I don't know what you kind of think about that. Like the Eagles, I think are a mess at the moment. I think that they're a mess. Um, I feel bad for Jalen Hurts because I think he showed promise, but they're a mess right now. They have a new coach and a lot of people aren't high on him, unfortunately. But talk a little bit about kind of from the Giants angle, are you worried about Washington next year too? Um I don't I don't I don't think I would use the word worried, but you are right. They do they are a threat. Hey man, like I said, if the Giants can figure out their offensive line, be more consistent there, if Daniel Jones can take care of the ball, I think that's that's literally like it's right there in front of you. That's literally all that has to be done. And they'll be competitive no matter who is on the other side of the field. Uh, Washington's a good team. They did make the playoffs. But, again, the NFC East as a whole collective was pretty bad last season. So just because they made the playoffs, it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, well, they were 12-4. and four. No, they weren't. They were the bad team just like the rest of the teams in the NFC East. But, like I said, Dana Jones takes care of the ball. They block for him. Our defense, I'm already happy with how our defense is. I think, you know, it's a bright future if those two things happen. So let's shift over to the NBA and our beloved New York Knicks. So unfortunately, yeah. they got blown out last night. Pretty I know. I'm so Milwaukee. mad about that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hope crazy. they're going to win. I'm going to get on the podcast. We're going to be hype. But yeah, they, they, got, they got crushed. No, it started, it started out great. RJ Barrett dunked on Brooke Lopez. I was getting excited. But again, I think what happened last night is you saw a little bit of the rust out, out of the all-star break. And that's not an excuse. Like I, I'm not a guy who comes up here and says, oh, we lost because of rust. No, that's not the reason. We just didn't play very well. And look, Milwaukee is a good team and rightfully a top three team in the East. The thing with the Knicks, though, is that their defense is, and this is the reason why I think if they can continue to stay in that six range, I've talked to you about this. I think Tibbs should be a coach of the year candidate because the Knicks were 21 and 45 last year. Had They were a below end defensive team. Right now they're, they're a top five defensive rating in basketball. And like, just, you know, again, they have 19 wins. They almost have as many wins right now as they did all last season. So talk about kind of what you observed from the Knicks and yeah, like what, why you think maybe, People are not really appreciating, I think, the fact of this is actually a really good sign for New York people. So I think I th- I think people are appreciating it, but I think they're getting overlooked because of what's going on over across town in Brooklyn, which, you know, it is what it is. Brooklyn's got a great team. They can't stop anybody defensively. Knicks have a better defensive team, but it is what it is. Um, I'm excited, man. The Knicks look great right now. I'm super stoked that they're 500 at this point in the season. They haven't been 500 at this point in the season in a long time. Um, I like Emmanuel quickly, like a lot. I think it was a, it's a rob. I think you're the one who even said it. He got robbed by not being in the um, rising stars challenge or the, uh, the, it used to be called the rookie game, but it's a, what is it? USA versus the world or whatever it is now the rising stars challenge. 
Yeah, see, I'm back from, I remember being the rookie game or whatever it was, rookie sophomores. Yeah, everything's um, changed, man. Like, it used to be East versus West, and now it's yep. Team LeBron versus whoever yep. the Which the I like that setup better. Is. I don't. How do you feel about that? I like that setup better. I actually do, too, because I think it's good to actually mix match teams. Because, if look, if it, it was back in the 90s when the East and West were comparable in talent, I would say, okay, good. But the West is so much better than the East in terms of talent. And I'm not saying the yeah. East – doesn't have good teams. That's not what I'm saying, but just the West is loaded. I mean, any, any of those top eight teams, in my opinion, could beat up on each other right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's better. They have that set up because you have at least you have like Luca playing with Giannis or something like that. Right. Which is cool. I think for fan interaction, but yeah, I mean, sorry, continue what you were saying a little bit about like Emmanuel quickly and that kind of stuff. Cause yeah, no, I'm just, like I said, I'm super excited. The Knicks, Julius Randle is balling out, which is awesome because uh, we've had conversations like after last season, it's like, uh, you know, get rid of him. Like he's not, he's, you know, but he's balling out, which is awesome. I've never been that high on RJ Barrett just personally. I always feel like he's been a little bit of a letdown to be drafted as high as he was. He's been and still is kind of super inconsistent, but he is playing better this season. Um, and like you said, I think if coach, if the Knicks stay consistent with how they've been now and they do finish the season and make the playoffs and they are in, even if it's that six or seven seed, I think it's robbery if Tibbs doesn't get coach of the year. I think like it's got to be hands down because of, like you said, where they came from last year, but not only last year, where the organization has been in the last couple years for him to come in and first year, bring them into the playoffs. I think that's awesome. I think it's going to build the excitement for the team around the organization. Um, You know, I think the only thing that can make it the only thing that can make the situation better would be if Dolan sells the team to maybe another owner. But um, yeah, I think the excitement is going to hopefully make other marquee players want to come play since right now it kind of seemed like nobody wanted to come to New York, but with Tibbs there with them playing so much better than as they are, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing I was thinking about, I mean, I agree with you. I'm, you know, I, I think that, the one thing the Knicks I think have improved on is the fact that Tibbs has brought in a culture that has fostered winning. Right. And look, everyone looked at the Minnesota situation and even though they did make the playoffs one year, they're like, is Tibbs really the, the right guy? I, I was a little questionable about it. Right. Cause he couldn't manage Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler and Wiggins together. Can he manage, you know, Julius Randle, who I, I, I by the way, don't think is a problem. I'm saying just like the, from a way he plays, in the past, right? In order just like, you know, these young guys who are trying to figure out Mitchell Robinson would get in foul trouble and be fouled out by the third quarter, like last year, right? That but He's injured now, but you saw when he was playing, he doesn't really get in foul trouble much. And I think that is a coaching scheme. And the reason mm-hmm. why people I think are going to get into Quinn Snyder, unfortunately, is because the Jazz went from the sixth seed to the best team in the NBA. But I think that people should really appreciate teams that go from last place to you know, a playoff level team. That's why Phoenix has been interesting for a lot of people, right? Because they were out of the playoffs last year and they're the second seed in the West. So I don't know how kind of you feel about that, but I think that also something, and you can talk about this a little bit, is that I think Leon Rose and that guy Worldwide West, the front office, have actually done a really good job of implementing, like getting guys like Derek Rose, like a veteran guy who can help those younger guards in the lineup. Talk a little bit about kind of how you think about that. Yeah, no, I think they've made some great decisions. Um, I was I was really stoked with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has just been a great – he's a great story, man. Just, you know, where he was in Chicago, 
all the injuries. I mean, there was a there was a point in time where I think anybody and everybody were counting him out. Like he's not going to play anymore. And then was it was it? Forgive me. Was it on the Pistons or was it on the Wolves where he really started shining again? Like there's a couple I games with the, the one time when he dropped 50 points. Was that with the Wolves or was that with the Pistons? I want to say it was I with want, the Wolves. I, I want to say it was the Wolves, but he was good in Detroit as well. He averaged like 14, 15 a game there. Yeah. Too. So like before that, like he was he was down and out. People were counting him out. Like he's not, you know. So the story of Derrick Rose is awesome. And the fact for him to bring someone like him in to guide these younger players that the Knicks have. So I think Leon Rose and their front office is doing a better job. Like I said before, I just, you know, if Dolan would sell the team and get another um, owner in, that'd be even better. I think, you know, but that it is what it is. I'm just, I'm happy where it's successful right now as an organization. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think one thing that people just don't realize too, is that, so look, there's pe- been people who said, who I've had on, who've talked to the Knicks before and they're saying, you know, let's, let's get a big guy, like a big star guy right in right now. My thing is I like to develop the youth and then see what the summer can offer later. Cause they've, uh, they've, you know, tested the possibility of getting Andre Drummond, which I've, I've seen has kind of died off recently. It looks like it's either Lakers, Brooklyn, or even the Clippers from what executives are saying right now. Mm. And the reason why I think Andre Drummond, Brooklyn? What, what, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, 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 imagine if, yeah, well, Everyone wants to go to Brooklyn because I think it's everyone wants to beat LeBron James now. And I think yeah. that's my theory. That may not be true, but that just seems wow it is like Blake Griffin going, uh, yeah. which I talked to. I wasn't I, I thought it makes him OK. Like, I mean, I don't think it was I didn't think it was like a crazy move. If Andre Drummond went, though, they would have a defensive anchor to stop, you know, the bigs like a Joel Embiid or something like that. But I think the one thing, though, with the Knicks is that the Knicks are not a very strong three point shooting team. They had a lot of guys that go to the basket. So if you put Andre Drummond in that mix is a guy that just goes to the basket and plays in the glass. You get better defensively, but offensively you, you, there's no spacing and Julius Randle, I think needs space. I don't know if mm-hmm. you agree with that. No. Yeah, I do. I do. Which is funny. Cause the Knicks not being as good of a shooting team as I feel like they used to like almost rely on the three. You know what I mean? Like there'd be a couple of years where they're, they're just jacking threes up. So but again, it, it, it all goes back to Tibbs, just playing style. He he's got them playing basketball together, which is which is awesome. You know, I do have this. I have one thing that I wanted to do in this podcast because I think this would be kind of like a funny thing to do. Um, I want you. I didn't obviously. I didn't say anything about this to you yet. I want you to list your top three, and I'm going to give you my top three. The Knicks kind of for a while had that little reputation of the place to go for washed up stars. You know what I mean? They've had a bunch of stars. And I'm talking like Tracy McGrady, uh, Baron Day, like all these guys that were studs in the NBA. And like people don't realize like they were on the Knicks for a little bit, like before their career finally was like over, over. So I would say top three NBA stars that were washed up and wound up on the Knicks. I can give you my three first if you want. Yeah, yeah, you go first. All right, so this is no real order, but my three would be Penny Hardaway, Steve Francis, and I just mentioned them, Tracy McGrady. All these guys that were studs in the NBA. And then some people don't realize, like, they played on the Knicks for a year, too. Yeah. Uh, so I would have to put Steve Francis and Tracy in there. Um, I was thinking Amari, but Amari was good for two years with the Knicks, so I can't really quite put him there. Um I, I would have to say Derek Rose because Derek Rose yeah. is uh 
he, I mean, he, he has been with the Knicks before, and then mm-hmm. he, he uh, got traded away, and then he came back. Because when Derrick Rose was healthy, he was arguably a top five player in basketball, won the 2011 MVP. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And people forget, though, when Steve Francis was in his prime, how good Steve Francis was. Because people knew about his, his antics a little bit because he was a guy who talked trash a lot, that talked to the refs, that would even just like chirp at fans and stuff like that. And, and he, I mean, he was just like, an, like you know, a uh, fiery individual. And, and I don't think it was a bad thing. I thought like as a, in a player wise, it worked for him. But yeah, I mean, also Tracy McGrady. I mean, if that man never got hurt, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, when he was in his prime, he was one of the yeah. best scorers I've seen. And, and the reason why people are down him, and I, mean, I don't know if you agree with this, is that he just never looked like he was trying because I think the game was pretty effortless for him because he was like six eights. I mean, Kobe even said, Kobe said he was the toughest guard for him in his career. So that shows you how good a guy is, I think. Tracy McGrady was a beast. I remember when the Knicks got Tracy McGrady in his first game, he dropped 25. And I was like, yo, the Knicks are back. And then I'm pretty sure he got hurt and sat out the next like two months. But, but yeah. And you remember like Baron Davis, Baron Davis was on the Knicks. Chauncey Billups was on the Knicks. Like all these big time, like, yeah. Every, every, everyone came to the Knicks. Actually, the funny thing is my daddy's and I used to have the theory when, you know, when J.R. Smith was there, Iman Shumpert, then they went to the Cleveland and won a championship. And you look at like, uh, that's like Hardaway, another list. right? Tim, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like Tim Hardaway, for example, was not great with the Knicks. Neither was Trey. Trey Burke actually was pretty good. I'll actually say that. But they're now in Dallas, like playing really well. And then you know, Porzingis is kind of playing the same level he was with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, actually, that move is actually not looking as bad as it did originally because I think that we got a lot of younger pieces in the draft. I think we got the right coach and front office there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and people can say what they want to say about Dolan. I think he's been less, uh, in terms of the Knicks operation, has been less hands-on, which I think has been better recently. I would agree, like, three or four years ago, I was, uh, I mean, I, I still don't think he's a good owner, but I think that, you know, I think the problem with ownership, and the reason why Mark Cuban gets away with this, because Mark Cuban is very basketball and financially savvy that he can find people that he wants to put in the team. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's always good for an owner to be hands-on, right? So. Yeah, but I mean, like, just look now, like the Knicks are actually getting pieces, I think, that fit what Tibbs wants to do. And Tibbs has been a guy who's proven, at least with Chicago, they were in the playoffs basically every year he was there. And they always had a great defense. They always, you know, had really low scoring games in a sense, but they were exciting because, you know, they had a lot of like, you know, really tough guys down low. And they always have one or two star guys who, you know, took a bulk of the shots, but it, I think it worked that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited all around for New York for the Knicks. Um, yeah, man, I'm thinking if we make the playoffs this year, get the excitement up, get a couple more pieces, a couple more good drafts. I don't know, you know, a lot of people are yeah, kind no, of saying to me, draft class. yeah, yeah, this all draft my friends that can be better, yeah, all my friends that are not Knicks fans that you know always make fun. It's like, hey, you're never gonna see a championship in your lifetime. Like, oh, you know. We're on the right path. Maybe in the next 10 years, we might, we might get there. Yeah. You never let's know. Get, let's yeah, get LeBron to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get LeBron James to retire. Yeah. But he's like 54 years old, still playing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the last thing I kind of want to wrap up here is uh, just tell a little bit of people about the, uh, the coaches table podcast. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool podcast. I think it's a lot of fun what you do and talk about like what got you into that and uh, what your most recent episode was about today. No, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So myself and coach Adam here, Parisi, we kind of had like a joke with each other, actually for like a year straight. uh, We would always, anytime we, we always get in like, I wouldn't say heated debates, but we would always discuss things, whether it was training or sports or life, whatever. 
And the whole time one day we we're just like, we should just do a podcast. We just have these, you know, debates on podcasts and then bring other people in. And for a year straight, you know, anytime we get into these discussions, we would literally just be like podcast and then walk away. And like nothing ever came of it. But then I was like, you know what? I got a mic, you know, I got a laptop, like, let's do it. So that's kind of just how it started. And um, yeah, it's, it's been fun, man. I like this kind of stuff. Like, uh, I, I kind of like to talk a little bit. So, I, you know, podcast, you know, you talk. So um, uh, we just actually shot the episode today. We shot a second episode with Matt Sims. So he was our guest today. I think it was a, it's a great episode. We just kind of had a conversation. So our podcast is, there's not a lot of direction to it which sometimes could be a bad thing, but um, we have a lot of good conversations and we just kind of feed off the energy of each other. And, you know, we talk about anything from training methodologies to rest and recover routines to things that really annoy us within the industry. And then, you know, within sports in general. So um, yeah, so that comes out every Monday on, you know, all platforms, Apple music, Spotify, uh, you know, take a, take a listen, take a seat at the coach's table, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, I think the thing is the lack of direction, like you said, you, you know, you might seem as a bad thing, but I think it's it's more realistic, I think, in terms of a real conversation because you just kind of pick up on just different stuff regardless. And that's kind of what that feels like. And, and look, it's always cool to hear about the, the people that you have on, to hear about, especially the professionals, their history, kind of, you know, their story, right? So I think that's really cool. But Coach, I, I, you know, I want to thank you so much for joining the podcast. I, I definitely really enjoyed having you on. And uh, I definitely learned stuff. I think the guests will too. Sorry, the viewers will learn a lot. And um, I, you know, I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. This was fun.